A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with John Yagel, who is the VP of Continuous Improvement, Capital, and Innovation Excellence for Huber Engineered Materials. John has 30-plus years of experience in the chemical and materials industries at leading companies, including Dow and Grace, and is an expert in manufacturing and operational excellence. So John is bringing that expertise and experience to our conversation today on the podcast. John, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Good morning. Yeah, glad to have you here. So what's your origin story? What got you into the world of chemicals and what brought you to where you are today in your career? Sure, absolutely. Well, I guess I would say it started because I love a challenge. And I was I was close to my some of my teachers in school and, and learned a lot about chemistry. And I wanted to take on a challenge. So one thing led to another. And pretty soon I was at Penn State in chemical engineering. And and of course, that led me into the industry. And I've had a lot of great employers over the years for various. And a good portion of my career was with Dow Chemical and starting out. And and Dow, I, I still look back at Dow. It's a fabulous company from a manufacturing and operations perspective. Great place to grow up and learn about how to do it right. Yeah. Awesome. That's really cool. And today you're at Huber Engineered yes. Materials. Can you just, right. I think some people may not be fully familiar with them. Can, so can you give a brief sure, overview absolutely. of the company? Yep, exactly. Huber under the, the, the corporation of JM Huber, and we have several different business segments. I'm in the business segment called Huber Engineered Materials and make several different, we have several different businesses and several different product lines that provide products for all different areas. But it, it, to name a couple of them, we have an area called fire retardant, fire retardant additives. And so that is a non-halogenated material that is used in industry to prevent fires and smoldering and things like that. So you would find it in the insulation of wires, especially in your car, as Got well it. as some building materials, carpeting and things like that. And uh, so it's a great material for preventing fire and also for heat management and, and trying to dissipate the heat very well. Interesting. And then another area that is one of our businesses is called specialty minerals. And in specialty minerals, we have a whole series of products, which is ground calcium carbonate. It goes into many material, many, many products out there in the market, largely building materials for your home, for flooring and walls and in different areas like that. But also we have some very high quality and very high purity areas that go into nutritional needs like supplements, nutritional supplements, vitamins, and that whole area. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Recently, we purchased a company called Natural Soda, and it's in the minerals, the specialty minerals business. And Natural Soda is a company that mines sodium bicarbonate, which is baking soda. 
And so most of all the baking soda that we know of is synthetically made. And, and we purchased a company that has a mine actually in Colorado and they use solution mining, dissolve it and bring it back up to the surface and then re-precipitate it into a product. And it goes in all kinds of markets like for, for animal feed and nutrition and various other forms for natural, for a natural occurring baking soda. Yeah, that's interesting. So why would, why would you mine the baking soda, the carbonate versus synthetically produce it? What's the, there must be pros and cons to this. It doesn't exist very often in a, in a natural state is the, probably the biggest reason. And, and since it is in a natural state, it's, it's a very good material for feed and things like that. Okay. Huh. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. I guess, you know, it's one of those common products that probably many of us don't know about. That's exactly right. And then the third, the third area is, is, is agro solutions. And this is actually a, a more recent, a new, a new business area for us. And we've made a couple of purchases in the last several years. And uh, this is where we're making chemical fertilizers and various additives for the growers and farmers to put in their spray systems for plants. And, you know, we target a lot of different products of farm items that are in the fruits, nuts, vegetables area. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's interesting. That's it prompts a follow-up question that I'm going to come to later. I hope I sure. remember it. John, do you guys operate globally or is it primarily a North American business? We do operate globally. We have a we have a good size footprint in North America as well as Germany, Austria, and now with some of our new acquisitions in Italy and Hungary and, and various other countries. Cool. Very cool. So so you've had a long career in manufacturing and in operational excellence. And you really, I know that's operational excellence is a passion and a focus area for you. Can you tell us more about what that is? Sure. How did you get there? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, operational excellence is in a simple form, systematic problem solving and improvements. And, you know, of course, all manufacturing wants to constantly get better and uh, remove defects and and have their operations be trouble-free. And, and operational excellence is a way to bring together several different functions, like problem solving and reliability and quality and safety and all these different areas. And it probably goes back a, a lot to uh, some of the disciplines that we've all learned and heard about, like Six Sigma and lean manufacturing and things like that. So that's a, a huge piece of, of operational excellence. But there are other areas in there, too, like, you know, various technologies for reliability and, and, and even transportation systems and logistics and everything like that. Yeah, that's interesting. So you would operational excellence would be the umbrella that covers some of the Six Sigma lean, the process Correct. management, et cetera. Yeah. That's cool. I actually, I've, I've in my earlier in my career, I've gone through that space a couple of different times. In fact, running operational excellence, but much more for supply chain and sure. the the customer centers, the business operations side of operational yes. excellence. So, it's I think there's a lot of I can see the value right at the Absolutely. end of the day. I think most chemical companies actually are operationally excellent. Now that doesn't mean that they're not, that they're perfect, obviously, but I think there's this inherent tendency and maybe it's the engineers and all of us that, that drive towards operational excellence, but also it's really about safety and efficiency yes. and cost effectiveness and just business process effectiveness. That's exactly right. And, and there's also close ties to a world that is called process safety management and, and making sure that all of our, our chemical factories and production plans, refineries, 
batteries and everything are operating in a way that, you know, they're not going to catch on fire and, and have injuries of very large. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you've been doing this a long time. How yeah. has it changed? Right. So if you think about operational excellence earlier in your career versus where we are today, yeah, what's different? Yeah, there are a couple of areas that are that are quite different. The the base activity is the same. Basically, you know, problem solving and and driving perfection and excellence into everything you do, that part is obviously the same. But I would also say that in the beginning in my in my beginning of my career, it was then a a nice way to have a competitive advantage. And uh, it was a way that you can get out in front of your competitors, reduce your costs, provide more product at a, at a better value. And today it, it's more closer to a table stake. It, it's, it's something that it exists in a lot of different areas and has made tremendous, you know, benefit and driven value throughout the industry. So I would say that's one change that, that it has become more of a regularly occurring scenario for companies to have that. That doesn't mean everyone has it now. There are still yeah. companies in, in production plans that, that still need to kind of get on the, the activities of operational excellence. Another area that I, I would say has made huge differences and has grown over the years is digitization. And uh, in the in the beginning, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, having all this data and information was difficult. You know, it was yeah. very difficult to pull all the information and data. And, and that's the, the nature of problem solving is to have the right data that you can understand what exactly is happening so you can analyze it very well. And over time, through all different ways, the world of process control and data collection and AI and, and being able to take massive amounts of data and analyze it and, and put it through various algorithm, algorithms to come up with an answer has really changed it quite a bit. And we're, and we're using that some of that right now with, uh, with digitization and trying to understand from reliability to various other areas. Yeah. Do you, when you think about that whole digitization and that data and operational excellence, do you also bring like process control into that? Or do you think about it as being outside the reactor as opposed to inside the reactor? No, absolutely inside it, without any doubt. Okay. And, and there are a couple different terms for what you just mentioned, process control or industrial control systems, whatever it is, it's basically the computer that runs your process. And of course the computer can watch it, you know, with, at, a, at a rate that is much greater than a human can and, and what we can can pick up a different abnormalities and things like that very well. So advanced process control and using that to wise your process is absolutely under the umbrella of operational excellence. Okay. I would not have, I personally would not have put it under that same umbrella. So that's good to, to understand that you do. Well, and also the products have become phenomenal. You know, back in the early days when when I worked for Dow, we actually produced our own process control computers, and uh, because, there, because there wasn't anything on the market that satisfied satisfied our needs. And today, that's probably not true in today's world. Whether it's from ADB or the Siemens or or Rockwell or other, they're all offering just fabulous products that uh, can run your your chemical process. Huh. So I know when we were talking earlier too, you, 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 one of the things you shared with me is that operational excellence has gone from process industries like the chemical industry elsewhere. And that's something that you've also seen through your career. Can you give us some examples of that? It's it for it's, it's grown within the business and what you mentioned earlier about customer service and areas like that. So it is it has 
expanded from the manufacturing space into other spaces like supply chain and customer care and everything around that. So it's there, but it's also moved into other industries. And and two two of them that I'll mention that that as consumers, we would know and understand on a daily basis is the hotel industry uses operational excellence. And and you would, you know, how, how would they possibly use it? But their interest in having your stay at their at their hotel and have it be a perfect stay without any flaws, no defects, and everything went just right is a huge piece of their operational excellence. And, and that's a very hard thing to do to, you know, to stay somewhere and there wasn't anything that went wrong. You know, everything in your room is working perfectly. You feel comfortable and 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 satisfied with the product that you're receiving there. And they strive to 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 hit that type of operational excellence so that your customer experience is is as perfect as it can be. And then another area that that we see actually more so on a daily basis, a, a company that I admire and, and have some interface with with some of their people is Chick-fil-A. And uh, we see this on a daily basis, you know, at 12, 12 noon and the line at Chick-fil-A is is wrapped around the, the, the restaurant and the way that they process orders and manage the, the traffic flow and and make sure that people move through the line and, and go through at a, at a pace that far beats all the other fast food restaurants. They just do an amazing job with order fulfillment and, and how they deliver the product to the customer in a, in a way that is fast, it's nice quality. You know, everyone has a good experience there. So they, they're a great ex- example of using operational excellence in a normal day-to-day operation. And and that's really about, when I think about it, as you give these examples, John, it's really about systems, it's processes, it's using the data to to maybe be both predictive as well as responsive. That's exactly right. um, Et cetera. And and is that one of the differences? And when you think about operational excellence, has it just kind of evolved from, I guess, this whole, the predictive aspect of it, right? I think to me has probably what's been evolved significantly especially with digitization, right? Absolutely. Predictive and preventative activities have always existed within the world of maintenance and reliability. And now they're expanding into new areas like like in a chemical reaction and being able to predict the quality of your product just by watching the original reaction of the polymer or or whatever it may be in the reactor. So it has evolved quite a bit. And originally, I think coming largely from the world of reliability and being able to predict, you know, vibration or any other type of movement in rotating equipment to to now we're using AI to make predictions on, on product quality, on delivery, on service and everything around that. Yeah, that's interesting. So John, one of the things I talk a lot about on the show is customer experience, right? So I think really the the key differentiator for most companies is actually their customer experience, right? So product is easily replicated, services and tactics are easily replicated, but it's the experience that you bring. And, And the experience, what gets wrapped into it as well is quality. In this expectation Absolutely. of quality, yeah. reliability of supply, and the expectation, and and even just the information, right? The ability to provide that's right. that information and and adapt. And so, I think that's based on this conversation. I would not have necessarily tied operational excellence in with experience. Yes. And yet, it's a key component. It's a key component for the holistic company. That's exactly right. And the, and the customer experience is a lot of things. It's it's anything from how how to pay their bills to how they receive product, how they order product, how well is the supplier looking out for them and kind of has their back and 
and uh, is trying to make sure that they don't have anything to worry about when you're buying product from us. So uh, yeah, that that ability to gain their trust, their loyalty based on operational excellence and always being able to supply their product is is golden. Awesome. That's really cool. So John, the the events of the past three years, I mean, I think as we entered the, the decade of the 2020s, um, it's been unexpected, right? Versus what anyone Absolutely. would have predicted between the, the COVID-19 pandemic, we've had freezes and hurricanes, we've had other significant supply chain disruptions, global political issues, you know, and I think about right, turmoil more mm-hmm. and other things, right? So all of which have really dramatically impacted the chemical industry in one yeah. way, shape or form. What do you see as Huber's response or even just as an industry's response to that, to these issues and these situations? Sure, absolutely. And some of these issues that you mentioned, we've always, you know, battled them as they come up. Things like the big freeze of one or two years ago and hurricanes and outages. We do some of our business along the Mississippi River. So we carefully watch the level of the Mississippi River. And there have been times when the water's too high and you can't use use it as a waterway. And so we come up with all kinds of creative solutions to move our product or move our raw materials you know, from point A to point B in a in a new way other than using the Mississippi. So that part has kind of always existed. Certainly COVID threw a curveball at us all and, and uh, changed changed life completely. And uh, the one thing I would say about COVID is, and Huber handled COVID in a very responsible way with great trust and respect for all of our teammates, making sure that everyone was was working well at work and and, and had everything, all the right equipment to do the job that they needed to do. So really a, a fantastic response throughout that and, and many, many people highly engaged in making sure that yeah. everyone was safe and healthy and, and, as, and we were operating as best we can. One of the things that COVID taught us though, is that remember, Many people did start working from their home office and, and learn how to use Zoom and everything. But at the factory, at the production plants, they they did not. You know, they went no. to work every single day. So, you know, the use of mask and separation, you know, between people and things like that. And uh, all of that still continued on a day-to-day basis. And uh, even, even what we normally have in the production plan, our normal daily resource meeting to plan for the day and make sure that all of our priorities are understood, you know, first thing right. in the morning. Even sessions like that, we can continued all throughout the COVID time, even if we were doing it by Zoom, you know, in Zoom, you know, just from the offices and, and, and areas like that. But we continued our operations without, you know, without any disrupt, disruption or anything like that. But I think that the, the piece that COVID taught us is how to use video conferencing. You know, here we are on Zoom and Teams and other things like that. And, and prior to COVID, you know, we were a bit timid to do this kind of activity and it was clunky. The tools were not that great. And, you know, we were kind of forced into it. And, you know, luckily the the, the market reacted and, and, and provided products that, that do a great job in bringing people closer together through the electronic methods. And so now, now that we're post-COVID, we certainly are traveling now, there's no doubt. And, and most, most, most of the industry is getting out to see their customer and suppliers and things like that. But but we're using Zoom and Teams, you know, significantly more than than ever before, uh, in making sure that that we can connect without necessarily traveling to the other side of the world. Yeah, that has been a significant impact. And in fact, as I've talked with clients and companies that I meet with, the whole issue, you know, so one virtual working has been great for a big part of the industry. Not everybody, right? As you said, not everyone, right? Uh, our frontline workers, our manufacturing staff and logistics and supply chain staff, 
we need, they've been boots on the ground, right? To make yes. things happen. But I think it's also shifted, you know, this, this whole hurdle to get people back in the office, even yeah. just the hurdle to have a customer and supplier meetings. Like I've, you know, I've had people, That's right. yeah. are people actually meeting I'm like, eh, yeah, but a yeah. lot less than they used to. Right. It's so a lot less. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's still the same number of engagements on a net basis, but the actual in-person stuff has really diminished. Has, did, did operational excellence change? Did your approach to operational excellence change as a result of what, of these disruptions of the pandemic and of other things? Are you doing things differently today? And in 2023 is when this is going to be getting published. Uh, versus in 2020? You know, I would say we learned a lot during that time period. And and during the the COVID time, when we were largely in a in a virtual state, we uh, we tried to do various types of training and meetings and things like that. And and it was effective, but not nearly as much as in person. So now that that we feel like we're on the on the other side of COVID, we're back into scheduling various trainings that are face to face and and doing activities like that, whether it's group sessions, bringing teams together, or whatever it may be. But we're we're fairly open with with the concept of bringing people together back together and yeah. and meeting there i don't think anything can replace this face to face interaction and being able to to have a good conversation and and challenge each other and debate each other and being being able to do it in person you can't beat that with with zoom yeah i agree i uh, i had a really good working session with the group earlier uh, this week in person and and we even commented it's like oh you know so glad that we got together right. in person Yes. But because it actually, in some ways, was faster. The work that we were doing needed to be in-person work. That's right. We were far more resilient as an in-person team versus on a Zoom call or on a phone call or what have you. So I think that's a big, uh, big thing. Right. And it might have actually caused us. I I had this conversation last week with, uh, with a few colleagues that the world, the virtual world of Zoom and other things like that may actually cause us to move more rapidly because in our former world, we would always try to get together. So we would travel to get together and we would have some meeting and we would say, well, we need to get together. How about the first week of January? Well, half of us aren't available. So how about the second week of January and on and on and on. And it pushed out, you know, a meeting would push out two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks because of the availability of people. And now being able to get together on Zoom it's more of a conversation of, well, how about tomorrow or how about this afternoon to do the same thing? So it, it even if the quality is not quite the same as face-to-face, the speed at which we're doing things has really changed. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think there's two sides to that coin, right? Because, yeah. you know, what I hear from some folks as well is they're like, it's almost too busy. Everybody <laughs> wants to book a, a Zoom meeting when in the past you might have bumped into them in the hallway right. or you might have just said, hey... I need five minutes. Okay. I'm giving you five minutes, but you know, our inherent time block when we book things is like a 30 minute meeting. I'm like, I need five minutes. Can I just get five minutes? Yes. And, and so I think there's the the two sides of it, making us either busier or making us faster. Maybe both. So John Hubert is a privately held family owned company, which is very different from some of the other companies that you've worked with. Yes. What do you see as the difference and how does it change your approach to people, to operational excellence? What what stands out about just the difference of being in sure, a privately absolutely. held company? 
Yeah. It's, you know, the, it's a wonderful family company and the, the, the Huber family has a deep sense of responsibility and, and really being a positive force on the world. And, and, and that comes through in the products that we make and being able to make life better, basically in, in many different ways to very charitable and, and working very hard to provide, whether it's Habitat for Humanity or all other, you know, aspects like that. But I would also say we have a huge res- respect and, and appreciation for each other, for our, our teammates and at, at all levels of the organization, throughout the organization, in all functions, and a huge sense of, of respect and appreciation for each other. And uh, although the, you know, it's a, it's a very large company and, uh, and you know, over 4,000 total in my area of Huber Engineering Materials, almost 2,000 people, but but we really value each other and our own development and our collaboration. And uh, it makes diversity fit right into the, our, our strategy and our activities. And we enjoy um, learning and understanding everyone's perspective. So it's a, I, I really appreciate that. We have also have a tool that we use, a tool or a set of values that we call the Huber Principles. And uh, you can you can see it out there, you can Google it, and there's a lot of information that we've published about the Huber Principles. But the Huber Principles essentially is our, our guiding roadmap, if you will, for various activities that we do. So it's a, f- a four-piece approach of EHS and sustainability. Obviously, we worked on that forever. Ethical behavior, making sure that we're proud of everything that we do. Respect for people and making sure that it's a, a work environment with honesty, respect, teamwork, and, and recognition. And then, and then, of course, the area where I focus a lot is to make sure that we have a strong competitive advantage and customer relationship or intimacy in, yeah. along with operational excellence. Yeah. So, I mean, it's such a large company. Does it feel like a family-owned company? I mean, it feels like a family-owned company. It, it does. Really does. It really it does. does. Yep. Yeah, it, it literally does. And and I've been with some very large companies. You know, Dow is quite large, over 60,000 people. And it did not feel that way there. It was, it mm. was you know, everyone was a number and and it, it didn't have that same feel. But I would say at Huber, it feels like a family company every day. Yeah, interesting. So you, you touched briefly on sustainability. What role does sustainability play mm-hmm. in your business? Absolutely. Great. I like that a lot. In operational excellence, I've been working on sustainability since the beginning. And even all the way back to Dow, we worked very hard at energy efficiency and sustainability and and trying to reduce our footprint in, in many ways. The difference, the interesting part about that is that we were mostly working on that for a cost reduction perspective, right? Right. And like electricity was expensive, gas was expensive, and and we could really gain and and drive a competitive advantage by reducing our overall footprint and and how much it costs to to use and consume all this energy. Today, that has grown, and and it's still a, a good cost reduction effort. You know, there's no doubt about that. Especially with you know various areas of the world having sky high natural gas and and petroleum prices, but it has now become much more of responsibility to to reduce your footprint and, and work on sustainability. So we are actually very very active in this in this field of sustainability. I sponsor the operations activities in in sustainability, which ranges anywhere from normal regular day-to-day continuous improvement to improved motors and and insulation and everything around that to some innovation type activities to try to understand 
how we can change our footprint in a very large way and uh, and make sure that we consume less carbon and, and, and make sure that we're using electricity from the right sources of more sustainable sources. So yeah, it, it, it has become, sustainability has to become a very large part of, of our world and, and very, very much so in the world of operational excellence. Yeah, absolutely. And I do agree with your point that the chemical industry has been very focused on sustainability, yes. but not necessarily for the purpose of sustainability, but it was, it started with, you know, as you say, energy efficiency, that's right. Uh, reduced footprint, the, the whole circularity that's already yes. inherent in the industry, right? Because what, you know, what could otherwise be a waste stream instead becomes, oh, well, how can we turn this into something yes. else, another product, yes. a heat source, a fuel source, et cetera. So, that's right. you know, one of the things I think across the industry and we're in the industry is getting better. And, and I talk with and work with clients on this in terms of just telling the sustainability story better, right? Yep. So I think in many ways we've kind of said, well, of course people would understand that we're doing this, but you know, the reality is the general public does not understand. Not that. always. No, they don't get to see all the inner workings and things they like don't. that. And so right. if we're not understanding it and managing our information and yeah. telling our sustainability story, as yeah. well as continuing to work on it, um, it's just an opportunity for us to continue yeah. focusing in this area. And I think you're right. And and this is kind of a theme that I've heard from a lot of folks on the podcast and elsewhere that sustainability has always been part of our business yes. from a energy efficiency, uh, a resource efficiency perspective. Weight reduction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now we're just really turning it and saying, Hey, we do this and it's, it's for other reasons as well. It's the bigger picture. Yeah. That's right. Good. Yeah. So John, as we enter into 2023, it's going to be an interesting year, right? So we're seeing high inflation, a potential recession, which I think everybody keeps debating what it is and what it isn't, and we'll leave that debate elsewhere. But I know as, as we enter these environments, it typically drives companies to be much more focused on cost yeah. controls and other things that frankly are right in your yes, sweet spot in terms of operational excellence. Yeah. What are your priorities? So when you look at 2023, what are your priorities and Huber's priorities as we go into the year? There's no doubt that, you know, whether whether it's a recession or some other economic slowdown, hard to predict and no one can predict it. But yeah. certainly a, a large part of the world is anticipating some form of a bit of a storm out in front of us. Right. So with all that in mind, it's very common in operational excellence to start to shift your strategy or your focus areas away from maybe additional capacity and move on mm. to cost reduction, pure cost reduction, and trying to understand what that could be. Of course, we're experiencing, as everyone is, amazing levels of inflation. So, so you know, cost reduction is a huge piece of the puzzle simply because our costs are changing on a daily basis. So we, we definitely, as we go into the future, have a stronger emphasis in that area. As, as any company would, and especially throughout the chemical industry, uh, that's a very big part of it. Sustainability is also a huge piece of the, of the puzzle. And, and that is connected to the cost reductions because we're finding our, our energy sources are going up in price. We want to have a smaller footprint. And, and for all the reasons possible, we want to make sure that we're working on that. The other piece I think that is a part of operational excellence that is a huge priority for the future, and that is further use of digitization and and making sure that we're using the right kind of tools and technologies in the best way we can. And it can range anywhere from, you know, massive data crunching and, and assist to, to simple things like on the right on the shop floor and using your, your iPhone or iPad or other tools to enter a work order 
or to you know log the history of a pump or a compressor or anything like that to take pictures of it and, and make sure that we log you know what the history looks like and, and everything around that that we're using tools like that in in every possible way and and I see that very in a very strong way for our future um it could evolve into better use of, of wearables and you know other connections as as the, the folks out on the shop floor are trying to read procedures or you know look up some kind of information about the product or the pump or or the, uh, the mixing system or whatever it may be so that digitization part is is a big piece of our future without any doubt and then and then finally i would say in the in the innovation area the, the part that i think at least for myself that i'm learning about the most is the, the need for a very strong customer connection in the world of innovation and really understanding what, what is it that they want and not down to the individual product that they want, but what kind of properties are they looking for and what kind of, of attributes are they looking for in from the customer experience to the product they, that, that they consume to the way that we ship it to them and, and, and how they receive it. Yeah. Interesting. Great stuff. John, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I've really enjoyed learning more about you and your experience in Huber and how you guys are tackling today's challenges. Fantastic. It's been great to join and uh, appreciate the time. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. We will be back again next week with another episode. Cheers. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.